Bonesaw's Baby Chapter 4 In which our boy is once again cornered or Pots, Frying Pans, and Fire Seminar 380 An Instruction Guide to Surviving Your Worst Nightmare It took a second for my eyes to adjust to the low light, and when they did, I checked my chest and my arms, you know, just to see if any bots was still coming out. They wasn't. Ham split as soon as we busted in, and Sal chucked furniture and desks and computers against the door, trying to build a barricade. On the other side, out on the tarmac, the twitches pounded and moaned and bit and tore, but it wasn't no use. The building was all cinder block and steel, and it hadn't had the misfortune of being exploded yet. So they could pound all they wanted, but unless they found some glass windows we didn't know about, getting inside wasn't an option. I guess they could tear down that chain-link fence that lined the concourse and separated Single Corp from the city, but that wasn't no good, at least for thems what lived in the city, like the widow Miss Feldman and O'Neill and Ruby and me, I guess. But at least they wasn't getting in here. Not for now. Not for the time being. When my eyes finally adjusted, I looked up, and nearly lost control of my bowels. Uh, Sal, I said. Sal didn't say nothing. You might want to see this, you know, when you got that taken care of. And that's when the first one spoke. Didn't know which one it was yet, but it didn't matter. They was all of them creepy. Who's he talking to, Daddy? Another one said, Is his name really Sal, is it? Then she sang a little jingle. Sal, Sal, rhymes with foul. That's a silly name for a man. Is it short for Sally? Then all four of them erupted into giggles. Daddy's girls. The worst for wear, apparently. Bella's face was shiny and splotchy, red and black with burns and scabs. Ella smiled, revealing a mouthful of busted teeth. And when she waved her right hand, it only had two fingers on it, the pinky and the thumb, so it looked like she was telling me to hang ten. Caroline looked all right. But there was something off about Coraline what I couldn't exactly put my finger on. No burns or missing digits, but the way she kept staring at me reminded me of a snake. Finally, she said, in this drowsy, drugged voice, I'm going to rip your throat out. Her sisters laughed. I didn't. I guess they got caught in that explosion. You know, the one with the, uh, the robotic militarized death werewolf? Anyways, at least two of them did. Then Daddy spoke up from somewhere deep in the lobby. Now, now, Coraline, you know what I've told you about patience, but Daddy! He stepped out of the shadows, dressed in his usual natty digs, one arm bundled in a sling across his chest, wearing a cast that reached from palm to shoulder, with medieval pins sticking out of it and radiating circles. He grimaced as he walked, and though his voice was as smooth and as polished as ever, there was a look in his eye that made me think that maybe he'd bludgeon me with that cast, Impale me right through the forehead, no matter what kind of damage it did to him. No matter how many more pieces it shattered his bones into. Don't daddy me, Coraline. But I want to slit his throat! All in good time, all in good time. 
Then another voice chimed in, this one even more familiar than the rest. Yeah, but not right now, right? Great. Tommy Trigger, standing in the other corner. What a regular family reunion this turned out to be, huh? Tommy lit a cigarette. Because, you know, he kind of got something we want. It never ends, the weirdness. It never ends. Daddy sighed and said, Yes, Mr. Trigger, we know. A deal's a deal, Daddy-o. In the Brotherhood, we don't take kindly to them what breaks deals. Even if the deal's something what needed to be broke. Mr. Trigger, your vernacular is quite singular. Tommy pushed himself off the wall so I could see him a little better, holding his cigarette between his pointer and thumb like he was about to flick it at Daddy's face. His other hand, his right hand, slid into his pocket. I seen Daddy glance down at it, and I knew what he was thinking. He was thinking, what does he have in that pocket, huh? Thanks, Tommy said. Unless you was being sarcastic, in which case, screw. Ella's face turned bright red. You can't talk to Daddy that way. I can't. Why not? It isn't polite. Oh, yeah? Pat, meet Kettle. Bella joined the fray. You're a scalawag and a ruffian, and Daddy won't truck such foul language from the likes of you. Now, Bella, now, Ella. Tommy took a step toward the girls. They drew together as he bent over, holding his cigarette to his lips. Scalawag? Ruffian? He took a puff and blew the smoke in their faces. The girls coughed and waved it away, but they didn't move. Gotta give him credit. They was brave little runts, them. Tommy held his bogey up at him. You see this? You know what this is? That's a cigarette. That's right. How about I take this cigarette and I shove it up all four your asses, huh? One at a time. Boop, 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 boop. The girls were stunned to silence for once. Then their eyes went wide and their mouths turned into O's and they slowly looked at each other. I thought Daddy was going to break Tommy's skull open with them pins, but expectedly, I admit, the girls broke out into loud giggles. Ella even started clapping and hopping. Oh, Daddy, I like this one. Can we keep it? Tommy stood up, smiling. He took a drag off his fag, eyebrows bouncing. Meanwhile, Sal pulled up next to me and crossed his arms. Who's this? That's Tommy Trigger. You like saying my name out loud, don't you? He's an asshole. Tommy yanked his hand out of his pocket and aimed his finger at me, making that <coughs> sound with his cheek. You gonna just leave the door like that? He said, pointing over my shoulder. I turned around. Turned out Sal didn't do such a great job blockading it after all. In fact, he didn't do nothing. I imagined the twitches piling up, one on top of the other, until the hinges gave and they poured in. Fuck, Sal. Why'd you leave it that way? I turned to ask him, but all of a sudden he wasn't there. Where's Sal went? Tommy said, I, I ain't got time for this. Let's go. Where are we going? I'm taking you to see BG. Can't wait to see the look on your face when he puts that bullet in your brain. Daddy, you said we could play with it. Now, Coraline, you said I could use my needles. I know, Caroline, but... You said I could chunk its throat. You said I could make it float. You said, you said, you said... Daddy patted the air with one hand. Girls, girls, girls. Tommy grabbed my arm, and Daddy punched him in the face. Hands off the merchandise, Mr. Trigger. In the ensuing ruckus, I sprinted out the front door, the one to the city, and slammed it behind me. The twitches had mass at the gate, and they was pushing up against the fence. The skin pressed through the wire, dozens and dozens of them, with more on the way. I seen something out of the corner of my eye. 
something on the ground. And holy moly was I in for a treat. Somebody left my clothes right outside the door, neatly folded. My pants, my shirt, my jacket, and my spats right on top. A piece of paper sat under them. There was a thumbs up scrawled on it. Good old ham. I squatted down and slipped my hand into the folds, feeling around, and yep, there they was, my scalpel and bone saw. I stood them away in my jumpsuit, and just in time, too, because next thing I knew, Tommy busted out the door, followed by the squealing girls and Daddy. Where's Sal? Tommy slammed the door behind Daddy and leaned against it. No time for crazy. Something big hit the door, pressed on it for a second, and fingers pushed through the gap. I threw my weight against it, too, and it shut hard, slicing him off. Now or never, Tommy said. Not that we had a choice. Before I could even think, okay, I'm gonna run, the something big on the other side of the door hit it again, sending both of us sprawling forward, and then we was off. Or really, Tommy was. My shoulder and ribs still ached, and the cuts under my collarbone stung, even as it healed up, so my run was more like a lurch. The twitches poured out after us. We ran through the gate and had just made it across the street when a black pickup with a flamethrower in the bed squealed to a stop between us and the twitches. Somebody popped up behind the flamethrower and pulled the trigger. Gunfire erupted from the cab, pop, 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 and the driver's side door opened, and guess who jumped out? O'Neal, the midget. Sorry, little person. Driving a big pickup truck. And when I say big, I mean it was an old Ford F-450 Super Duty. The kind the contractors used to haul materials to build skyscrapers with. The kind with six tires on it, two in the front, four in the back. The kind with a gazillion liter V9000 engine. The kind that sounded like a tank taking off when you turned over the transmission. O'Neal, I yelled. About time. He fired off a few more shots into the twitcher storm. Let's go. I started to head his way, but Tommy Trigger put his hand on my chest. You ain't going nowhere unless that nowhere's with me. That don't make no sense. O'Neal came over, making sure his gun was in full view. Let him go. Says who? Says me. Screw you, you midget. O'Neal didn't even blink. He leveled his gun at him and, well, you can guess what happened next. You know, there's a lot of different types of killing. Revenge killing, contract killing, war killing, serial killing, sex killing, love killing, hate killing, robbery killing, killing killing. Not to mention all the different ways to get it done. Shooting, shanking, stabbing, slitting, beating, choking, drowning, raping, ripping, tearing, bludgeoning, poisoning, smothering, and probably a hundred more ways that I ain't even listed yet. But the best type of killing is the kind what really needs to happen, but what you don't gotta do yourself. Chapter 5, in which our boy fulfills his contract. The drive back through the city in O'Neill's tricked-out truck was probably the most enjoyable of my, well, not of my life on account of the fact that I'd taken better rides and better rides, but it ranked up there in the top three. Maybe it was all context. I'd just been through hell, and my ribs was cracked, and my chest was cracked, and my shoulder was cracked, so I could have been riding in a rickshaw, and it would have felt luxurious. The city hadn't changed a bit. I don't know why I expected it to. It'd only been three days. I think it's because of everything that happened. Like, whatever I'd underwent should have been reflected in my surroundings or something. It didn't. That's predictable, though, ain't it? Life only has meaning for suckers. The rest of us do what we gotta do 24-7, 365. Ruby wasn't in the office. O'Neill pointed at the corner and said, Wait there. Then he went back to the back. I looked at the spot where he told me to sit, 
but there still wasn't no chairs. I heard a door slam, another one open, and then the sound of the wheelchair rolling, and he pushed June out. Hey, June, I said. How's the boom boom? I told you not to talk to her that way. Then, to June, you ready? June, as was her habit, didn't say nothing, and O'Neill shrugged. No time like the present. Then he took out a knife and stabbed me in the forearm, slicing a nice big slit in my meat. Christ's sake, O'Neill, I yelled. Not necessarily because it hurt, it did, but also because I knew what was coming. You might want to get out of here. No thanks. He hopped up on the counter and crossed his legs. I'd like to see this. See it, he did. The nanobots streamed out of my arm, onto the floor, up the old lady's wheelchair, swarmed a body, coated her head, and flooded into her mouth and nose and ears. She didn't do nothing at first, but then she started to shake and moan, and the shaking and moaning got worse and worse until her arms and legs shot out, stiff as a board, and she fell out of her chair. A crazy sound wailed up out of her lungs, and I shit you not, she started to change. Her skin smoothed out, her muscles toned up, her hair grew thick and lush and jet black, her bones cracked and popped as her skeleton corrected itself, and that hunch disappeared. Right before my eyes, the gnarly old lady turned into a beautiful woman. Holy shit, I said. June stood up, staring at her hands and arms in wonder. It worked, she whispered. Then louder, it worked. Would you look at that? The fact that her head had not exploded was more than shocking. But the transformation wasn't done transformating yet. June got younger and younger, the collagen filling out her face and lips. Then she started to shrink. Wait, no, she said. She looked at O'Neill and Hara, then me. Make it stop. I held up my hands. I can't make it do shit, lady. She went from 40 to 20 to 15 to 10 to 5 to 1, and then she was a baby. A baby lying in a pile of old lady clothes. No shit, a baby. O'Neill looked at it, looked at me, and let out a single guffaw. He hopped down off the counter and stooped over her, his hands on his knees. Well, he said, uh, baby June cooed at us. She played with the feet. After a long silence, during which I assumed O'Neill was formulating some kind of plan, I cleared my throat. He looked at me like he'd never seen me before. Please tell me you already got paid, I said.